Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This week kind of a supersized episode because my guest, Tracy Newman, was just so damn interesting that I didn't want to edit out a thing. Now, Tracy Newman is an Emmy-winning TV writer, a musician. She did card stunts on The Tonight Show and was a founding member of the improv group The Groundlings. If the name Newman sounds kind of familiar, it's because her younger sister, Lorraine Newman, became one of the original members of the Not Ready for Primetime Players on Saturday Night Live. Now, if you read my blog a couple of weeks ago when Ricky Jay passed away, Tracy, who knew him and lived with him, wrote a marvelous tribute for the blog, and if you want to go back and read it, if you haven't already, it is the November 27th post. Anyway, she's very interesting, has had a great career, several careers, and here's something that should really be heartening for a lot of people trying to break into the writing world. She got her first writing job at the age of 46. Let's meet Tracy Newman. So, Tracy, you've done an awful lot of things. You were a folk singer mm-hmm. back in the day when, <laughs> when folk singing... Back in the day before was, you were out in the world. <laughs> you know, in the, in the early 60s, that was the rage. Folk singing and hootenannies yeah. and that type of thing. And uh, did you see yourself as a singer that that was going to be your career, that you were going to be Mary of Peter, Paul, and Mary? No, definitely not that. Peter, Paul, and Tracy? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I started playing guitar when I was 14, you know, and I had relatives that sang and played. They were in the folk scene, and Theodore Bickell was in that group, sort of, and Uh uh, I kind of knew him, but, you know, but periphery, because I was a kid. Right. And uh, I played guitar pretty well, I mean, right away you know I, I i loved it so uh 
I just drifted into playing in small clubs in town when I got to be 18, 19 in L.A. And uh, I was one of the first acts at the Hunting- at, in Huntington Beach at the Golden Bear. In fact, I think the owner thinks I was the first act, but I kind of don't think I was. And at the Troubadour, I was playing the Hootenannies. And, um, you know, I just was – and I wasn't writing at that time. I was really just singing, um, you know, like the Kingston Trio. Okay. That that was it. I mean, when I say I played the guitar well, that's the kind of stuff I played, which is three chords. So what are you more proud of, uh, being the first performer at the Golden Bear or your <laughs> Emmy? <laughs> it depends on who the crowd is. <laughs> I think probably my Emmy because your crowd's probably more interested in that. <laughs> more impressed. So how did you go from that to comedy? Um, well, I... I went in 1965, I went to New York and I literally went to be a star. I mean, I was one of the those kids. The whole Greenwich Village scene and yeah. Dylan and all those yeah, people. Yeah, I, I just went there. Do you know him? Do you hang out with him? No, I never met Bob Dylan. But oh. People used to say that, oh, Dylan was here again tonight at the bitter end. Uh-huh. And I think he was at the Gaslight or Gertie's Folk City on the ti- at the times when I had my shows. Uh-huh. And I was the MC there, so I never left. Uh-huh. You know, the whole year I played there off and on, I was like the opening act and I was, and I think he, he just came to, he would drop in. Jack Elliott used to do it too. And I, I never met either of them. Wow. And uh, did, uh, were you young enough that Woody Allen hit on you? Yeah. No, he didn't hit on <laughs> but he was there. He would come to the bitter end and Dick Cavett. Uh-huh. I became sort of friendly with Dick Cavett at the time. And Patchett and Tarsus were an uh-huh. act back then. They became a comedy writing duo. Yes. And they pretty much were the showrunners of the, the great Bob Newhart show. Yep. And uh, they went on to do Buffalo Bill. And uh, Tom went on to do Alf. Yep. And What a different sensibility, yes, yes. those two and, guys. And Jay went off to do other things. And uh, just before they were doing the pilot of Alf, because we had worked with them on the Tony Randall show and, and we knew Tom and Jay and they had broken up by this time. And I bumped into Tom with his family and they were at a restaurant, you know, in Santa Monica. And I said to him, so, hey, Tom, how's it going? And he said, how's it going? I'm directing a pilot starring a fucking puppet. That's how it's going. <laughs> Well, that fucking puppet was Alf, Alf, and he's probably now a billionaire. Yeah, so, I'm sure he's a billionaire. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I always thought that uh, that Tarsus was the sort of the really clever one, but he did he sort of disappear? Well, he did what? Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. Uh-huh. He, did he did good with some good stuff. Yeah, and he did Slap Maxwell mm-hmm. and, and and stuff other that didn't things. really catch yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, of they them got on the air. Wonderfully but, yeah. funny. Really, yeah. Slap Maxwell was great. Yeah. Oh, actually, Molly Dodd was too. Was that uh, Blair, Blair Brown? Blair Brown. Yeah. Oh, I loved her too. Yeah. Uh, you know the um, uh, Jamie Tarsus right. became what the head of ABC. Yeah, and and NBC. and Matt Tarsus became a writer too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had They're I had Jay's run-ins kids. with them too. Yeah, and the irony, of course, <laughs> is that Jay hated 
network executives. Just hated network executives. When I was on the Tony Randall show and the network would call, Tom would have to take the call because Jay would get too angry. And for his daughter to become a network network. executive, you know, it's like the priest's daughter, you know, becoming a whore, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember, you used to pitch to her? Uh, yes. Do you remember how she would sit in the chair with her legs under her, you know, like, like I sit there that way too in those big chairs uh-huh. and, you know, just like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And stuff like that. And I, I remember we, we did a pilot for Brian Regan, who we loved. And I think they put us onto that. We didn't like look for him. I think they put us with him and then we wrote it and we worked with him and everything. And it was very exciting and really terrific. We thought, and we went to her with it and she said, no, I, I don't think he's a star. <laughs> and this was after, you know, putting us with him. I don't yeah. know if she personally put us with him, but, you know, it was, you know. And he, Jay did a pilot for her and got notes. Mm-hmm. Got notes from from, from his daughter. Oh, wow. And Oh, actually, she, I think I heard something yeah, about this. She started the meeting by going, you know, Dad, this <laughs> this isn't your best work. <laughs> And Jay said, you know what, Jamie, neither, neither were you. Neither were you. Yeah. Oh, God. That's, that's so, uh, what a rough situation. So you I, wound up in the groundlings. I did, yeah. Well, I, you asked me, though, how I ended up in comedy. And, okay. And I have to say that at that time when I was emceeing at the bitter end in 1965, I would, I would work till maybe midnight there, and then I'd go to the improv. At 44th and 9th, which was the original improv. Okay. And the improv at that time was the Algonquin Roundtable, really, what 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 became of that in a way. I mean, it was Rodney Dangerfield and Richard Pryor and Robert Klein and, uh, I mean, really everyone. Bette Midler was there. Wow. Liza Minnelli hung uh-huh. out there. Everybody hung out at the improv after their gigs. So it was not an, it had no alcohol. And we would be there till 4 in the morning performing for each other. Uh-huh. And I was one of the few singers. I mean, like when I say Bette Midler was there, I never saw her sing. <laughs> and Liza Minnelli. But like Liza Minnelli was at the time, as I recall, was kind of a fan because I was doing a Beatles medley. And that's, okay. that's around the time that that was. And, um, you know, I hung out with Rodney and... Uh, uh, Ron Carey was my boyfriend for a while. Do you remember Ron yeah, Carey? Yeah, right. He was on uh, Barney Miller for a while. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had I had dates with other guys back then, but I think he was my only, like, kind of steady boyfriend. You went out with him twice. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, so I just, I think I gravitated for some reason, I gravitated to the comedians as opposed to the musicians. And so for me to end up in comedy is not that strange, really. Uh-huh. You know, the music was kind of my own thing, my own business. But to hang out with musicians, I found to be, I hate to say this, guys, you don't care anymore, I'm sure. But uh, back then, some of you did. Um, to be in a studio where people are recording was the most boring thing to me. It still is. Even when I'm doing my own stuff, I get in there and out as fast as I can. It's just not that interesting to me. Uh Um, And maybe it's because I'm not really a great musician. You know, it's partly that, I'm sure. In fact, it's probably all that. So what brought you back to Los Angeles? um, Well, I stayed in New York for two years. I had a million things happen that taught me Really, everything you need to know about show business. You know, I mean, I told good you good and bad. 
mostly bad. I mean, uh-huh. back then, when you know, when you're in your uh, early 20s and opportunity strikes, right. you think it's a dime a dozen. You think it's going to happen all the time. And so you don't really treat them with the seriousness that I'm like Ed McMahon, for instance, was my manager. Wow. And the Tonight Show was already on the air. So think about that. He didn't, he had never managed anybody. He came in, he, he, we went to the same vocal coach. That's where we met. I had to perform for him. He had to perform for me. That's how this guy ran his thing. And he went to his manager and said, I'd like to manage this girl. I think she's whatever he said to him. And he had the Tonight Show, um, Sally Schultz was the only name I remember, but the writers write a show called Travels with Tracy for children. Okay. So he saw something there that I didn't get yet. I didn't really understand it, but he thought I would be a great performer for children. And, you know, I wore a little cap and boots and, (laughs) you know, I was cute, you know. (laughs) I'm sure you were. And then, you know, I proceeded to ruin every network pitch and just by like thinking, what is this? You know, whereas the, you be, you learn, uh, you know, when you're in TV to keep your mouth shut, really, is what you learn. Right. And uh, go along with what's going on until something happens that you can't stand. And then maybe you, <laughs> maybe you speak up. But this was, you know, I, I, I didn't have much sympathy for the, the tough spot that he was in when he was having to pitch to these young network guys when he was a celebrity. Right. And here's this girl coming in from having been at the improv at four in the morning, you know, and dragging in with her guitar. I mean, really, I, I just, I screwed up everything. I really did. But, so I had a lot of opportunities like that. And when I left, I ran from New York. I just literally ran away. Uh-huh. I just thought, I can't, I'm just terrible. And I quit. Quit show business. I quit everything. Okay, and what, I became what, a nursery school teacher. What got you back? Um, I saw an ad for a, a class, an improv class, that this guy Gary Austin was teaching, and I don't remember where I saw the ad. But I mean, I was teaching nursery school, and uh, I went and took the class, and there was like. Tim Matheson was in it, and Pat Morita, and Jack Sue, and Valerie Curtin, okay. and Archie Hahn. And this and, was the Groundlings. Well, it became the Groundlings. Became the yeah, Groundlings. and Tom Maxwell was there, who became, you know, Writer. Who took over. Yeah, and he also took over the Groundlings when Gary left. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we became like the founding members, really essential founding members were me and Tom and Gary. I'm not saying my sister wasn't important, obviously. Right. I mean, Lorraine Her Newman. Her sister is Lorraine Newman. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And very early on, Lily Tomlin and Lauren Michaels came to the show and tried to take a few people. Right. You know, Lauren. He took Lorraine, but he tried to get Archie and Liberty, uh, Louise Williams. Mm-hmm. Her name was Liberty at the time. And, uh, we, you know, and I drifted towards directing and teaching and writing. Right. And so, and John Stark was in the... I, you know, I'm heading to television. Yeah. yeah, Uh He became a member of the Groundlings, and we started looping together a lot. We were in this looping group, and he said to me, "You know, Bill and Sherry are running Cheers. They want us to write a. They want me, him, to write a spec script. Can you type?" <laughs> it was almost that kind of thing, you know, because I found him very funny. Uh-huh. So I, I, he didn't think you would be necessarily a partner because you know you had that. I think that he small thought, lady brain kind of thing. Yeah, and I think uh-huh. he thought I had a good sense of what was funny because I laughed at everything he said. Okay, almost. Okay. So it turned out 
when we had our first meeting and we started writing, I, I actually said to myself, there's no end to this. We can go all the way. I know what to do with this guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like having a big lump of clay. Right. You know, uh, that, <laughs> I mean, that's not a, a smart way to put that. I mean, what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is he was he was manageable and so funny to me. I thought if he's funny to me, it's got to be funny to at least a quarter of the population. Right. So you molded him to where he was doing the typing. No. Well, no. I was doing the typing, and but I was forming the stories, and, you know, I was kind of getting it together and organizing it. And I didn't realize at the time, but that kind of is what the, the work job is. is. It is yeah. the job. <laughs> and, and he was pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching and also coming up with great story ideas, too. Right. I mean, it's not like he couldn't do that. And. It was so much fun, even though it was a difficult partnership, but it was so much fun for me that I just thought, this is, I'm going to make a living at this. Right. I want to back up for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in college, my best friend and roommate was a guy named Billy Pearl, and we both went into radio after college, and he had a meteoric rise. He was 24 years old, and he was on KHJ Los Angeles, which was the big top 40 radio station. And his name was Billy Pearl? Billy Pearl, yeah. And we're friends. Like I say, we're friends, and we're roommates in college. And for about a two-, three-year period, every time I would bump into a mutual friend, the first thing he would say to me was, Hey, how's Billy? Or, hey, I've been listening to Billy. Billy sounds great. <laughs> and I wanted to say, hey, ask about me, how I am, okay? <laughs> how is it for you when your sister is on Saturday Night Live? Well, that's a, that's a question, by the way, that, that many people ask me because uh, emotionally you'd think that that would be like, you know, trouble. Yeah, but they don't do the Billy Pearl intro, right? <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, you know, sh- I discovered, I knew Lorraine was funny because I was her, I'm nine years older than her. Okay. And so I kind of raised, she has a twin, Paul. Okay. I raised them in a, in the way that my mother wouldn't, you know, didn't care about going out and pushing them in the stroller and all that <laughs> stuff. So, I mean, I was very useful at home. <laughs> so I knew how funny she was in a way, but when I took her to the groundlings for, to her first class at the groundlings and saw what she could do in the first class, I thought this is a whole other level from what's going on in here, except for Valerie Curtin, who is also capable of that. Okay. But I was completely blown away. So I don't know. I mean, it's like I couldn't do that. I I don't do characters. I, you know, it just seemed like the right thing. I, you know, I I drifted towards teaching. I I wasn't really competitive as a performer because I wasn't that good at it, frankly. Right. I mean, there were people that that thought I was good because they were came from nothing. <laughs> but but really, you know, the people who know improv, they they know sort of where I stand. Or you know, did my, you find the same thing happen to you though? That people would come up to you yeah. and go, "Hey, I saw Lorraine on Saturday night." Yeah, yeah. No, they, they, there's an insensitivity that happens. Right. You know, they don't. They are not very curious about me. Right. Except, can I get them to Lorraine? You know, can, right. I, can I introduce them to Lorraine? Which I did a lot. You, you know? guys still close? 
Oh yeah, she just lived with me for a year because she was she she and her husband broke up and uh, they were looking for she was looking for a place and she was remodeling the place she found and so we we had fun we had never done that before yeah no we're very in fact she's like except for Lynn Stewart my best friend mm-hmm. she's my other best friend okay um, bouncing around mm-hmm. but uh, every partnership is different mm-hmm. you know I've been in one for years with David Isaacs who's about the easiest guy in the world to me oh yeah yeah I mean, oh yeah yeah well he put up with me for years so <laughs> <laughs> but we always would work head to head. You know, we would have a uh, a writer's assistant in the room yeah. taking down the dictation, but we always wrote head to head. How did you and, and we wrote, Jonathan? We wrote everything wrote? together. I mean, if that's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's not, no, it's but not except like I you typed. did one act and he did the other, and then you no, traded and all I, that kind of know, stuff. That we, I'm not saying we never did that, but most of the time, 99.9 percent of the time, we were because it was that's what was fun to me because right. he was so funny to me, <laughs> and. Uh, I just want to say, though, I did not like having a writer's assistant with us, which is an interest. I, I preferred typing. One of the reasons was it's another human being in the room, and it's really a threesome then. Right. Even if you tell them don't ever speak, <laughs> which you, you can't do and you wouldn't do, really, uh-huh. they pitch. And it becomes this other sensibility. And it isn't that it would be bad or good, but it was trouble for me. It would be like if I'm the person typing... Then I become the writer's assistant in a way. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm both things, but if the other person's typing, I feel like the person typing has a control. Okay. That's maybe the best way to put that. I didn't even think of that, but that's probably what it is. And I needed to have the control. And okay. so if, the, if a person was going to pitch and you were going to say no or ignore their pitch, you're now dealing with another emotional situation sometimes. Because I know how it feels. We right. all know. right. And so I, I really, I just, I needed to type. You haven't had the experience, the joy of pitching something and saying, yeah, okay, that's good. Um, Lana, put that in. And then have her go, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Really? Is that Lana Williams? What? Was that Lana Williams? Lana Lewis. Lana Lewis? Lana Lewis, you... yeah. She was I'm great. She, she was great. I'm thinking of someone else, I think. Yeah. Yeah, uh. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's a dynamic that I had I had trouble with. John didn't have trouble with that, but I personally needed to be in control. We liked it because it kind of freed us up. No, it totally would, but know? I couldn't do it. And after a while, and this may sound strange to some people, but you know how you're you think in terms of okay, I need the next line, I need the next joke, but after a while. I would think in terms of whole runs, mm-hmm. you know, like a whole page run. And so I would say, here, get this down. We'll clean it up and change it and eliminate half of it and everything. But I could just then vomit out a page yeah, that, run right. and then we would have that to work off of. Um, and it was just a lot, a lot easier a to go. To work. Yeah, to go. Oh, you know what? Why don't we bring Norm in earlier? And so we say, you know, why don't you bring Norm in here instead of here, and 
and they the good ones mm-hmm. <laughs> would would actually do it. Yeah. You wound up on Cheers. That was your yeah, first, that was job. first job. Well, was it was that our first staff job. Staff I mean, job. We, we had freelance stuff before. Uh-huh. That. Was that intimidating? Was that fun? <laughs> what was that like? Well, it was the most exciting phone call I ever had in my life. Uh-huh. John Stark and I were looping something and the uh, person who was running the loop says, there's a phone call for you. And it was Bill and Sherry, you know, telling us we, they'd read our spec script, which was a Murphy Brown spec script, and they loved it. And they said, would you come on the show? Would we? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were so excited. But then, then just, just uh, you know, uh, dollars and cents for a minute, but looping is very, very lucrative. Now, I'm not, it doesn't compare with television. I was going to say, are you telling me you made more money looping than you did the first year on Cheers? Yes. <laughs> because John and I had to split what one person gets. Right. And we were getting, I mean, when you loop back then anyway, I don't know what it's like now, it's probably better. Uh-huh. You were getting $500 a day when you walk in the door and then you get residuals as well. Okay. So looping, to, and, it was, and it's in a dark room, there's no pressure. You know, by that I mean they don't even know who's talking half the time, especially right. if it's Walla. Right. I mean, you know, because we were improvisers, we did a lot of specifics. But right. when you didn't, you were walked in the door, you got your $500, and you were, you know, like anonymous all day. No pressure at all. Uh-huh. And around some very funny people all day. That's no, I, I, know, I, a of, I know a lot of I know a lot of improv people who did looping and, and had a, a company and they would tell me stories mm-hmm. that they would go in on jobs. There would be like German porno films that that they would would have to loop. Yeah. And, you know, I would then listen to them and it was just like a riot. It's hearing people that, that I you know. know. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We had to do women coming and stuff right, like that. Right. But we, uh, you know, we that's. There are certain people that are famous loopers, like Rennie Santoni is probably the, one of the most famous loopers. Number one, he could do a ball game from beginning to end and make it up. Okay. You know, make up the names, make out the, just invent the plays. That's how I made my only voiceover living yeah. was doing play-by-play for various shows. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he, the the shot we heard around the world yeah. was on MASH, right? Yes. He had to imitate that whole thing yeah. once for somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, had the a, Russ Hodges. Call. Yeah. Yeah. And he had a disagreement with the uh, showrunner. I wasn't there then, by the way. I had left <laughs> by that Man. time. Yeah. He, the, the, when he did this on some show, he had a disagreement with the showrunner who said, no, no, I think that it was this player that did that. And so I think you've got that wrong. And Rennie said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I have this memorized. <laughs> this is exactly what it is. You know, but Rennie was, it was like, you know, you go into those dark rooms, you know, you're going to be there from, I don't know, t- 10 in the morning until you don't know when. Right. Just like TV, only with the lights out. Right. And uh, when you saw Rennie Santoni walk in the door, you knew, oh my God, this is going to be a very funny day. Very fun. And Archie was that way too. I mean, there were there are other Archie there are other yeah, Archie yeah. Hahn and and Harry Shear was doing it, and Chris Guest was doing it, and um, I mean, I really could go on and on. There's some great funny people in the room, but when Rennie walked in, all of us just were like, "All right, this is an easy day." Funny. He day. was the man. He was the man. Yeah, yeah. It's always harder for a woman writer, yeah. especially in comedy. Um, yes. How how did you? 
feel dealing with that? Was it a a real tough adjustment for you? You know, I never um, had that. First of all, I'm 10 years older than my writing partner, and I was 10 years older. And in, at Cheers, I was, what, 20, 30 years older <laughs> than the boys running, the, you uh-huh. know, Dan O'Shannon and uh, Tom Anderson and Dan Staley and Rob Long were all in their 20s and brilliant. And, you know, I'd never written TV, and here I come in and I'm in my 40s. And I'm a woman. Uh So that's the only job I ever felt. You know, I was going through menopause, so I was (laughs) having, you know, uh, what is it called? Hot flashes. Right. And I'd be sitting in the room and I would think, can they see the sweat on my face? My sweat. I'm dripping sweat. I want to run out of the room and rip off my clothes. Like, you know, I would just, and they were were, uh, not particularly generous to me, those boys, Uh you know. Uh, the, and, and, you know, it was hard enough to pitch at the beginning anyway. I'm, I'm sure I didn't open my mouth for the first, I don't know how long. It's intimidating. It's so intimidating. Yeah. The times when I would open my mouth was when David Lloyd would, he'd come in to do his day, right? He was right. a consultant. He, he would close the doors. Nobody goes out for anything but the bathroom. And, you know, he'd leave when the sun went down. And he'd say, everybody works. Everybody talks. And so when you're in that situation, you know that that guy's going to use no matter what you say. He's going to turn it into something that'll work. So you don't feel like a fool, you know. And uh, on the days that David Lloyd was there, I would, I would speak. You know, not much, but I'd speak. You then did a show with Bob Newhart. Yeah. What's Bob Newhart amazing. like? Oh, my God. Yeah, he's, what's Bob Newhart like? You know what Bob Newhart's I like. I do. He's, he's so wonderful. You know, the, there are very few stars that come up to you when they don't like a joke or they don't like the wording. He'll say, instead of this, uh-huh. do you mind if I do <laughs> this? That's Bob Newhart, uh-huh. you know. And, not and you're throwing saying, scripts on the floor and kicking them across the stage. Exactly. Yeah. And he had a fix for everything suited him mm-hmm. and uh it was a pleasure and i and i you know I, I don't think the network treated him very well at that time actually it was cbs i think and mm-hmm. they you know they uh that show i thought that show was good actually it's called it was, bob yeah and yeah. he was a cartoonist right then you I'm, i mean i know i'm bouncing around a little bit but you wound up on ellen's mm-hmm. situation comedy and the famous iconic episode where she comes out, you and your partner wrote, and you won an Emmy for yes, that. Yes, we did. Wow. We were, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there. I, as you know, television, <laughs> you know, there's like 14, 15 people sometimes in the room. And so the credit for something like that is, you know, it lands on the person who wrote the script, but really that if ever anything was a group effort, that show was. Uh, Dava Savell and Mark Driscoll wrote the second half of that hour. We wrote the first half, which is where she ends up at the airport announcing mm-hmm. that she's gay, which, by the way, she pitched, and which later I heard was on Wings, had been on Wings, but I don't even know that for a fact. I never <laughs> saw that. But anyway, uh, she won the Emmy also as a writer because she pitched that whole story. But my partner and I were, uh, you know, only had to be 
at work on the Ellen show two days a week. And then we had, and we had something like three months to write what's <laughs> 22 minutes. And John was nervous about it. He did, kind of didn't want to do it. He wanted to, he believed in the cause and everything, but he, he was nervous about our career. He thought, you know, we could get slammed so badly because we'll be suddenly in the public eye, you know, or not the public eye, but we'll be, you know, getting these reviews. And, um, I said, you know, do you think that in three months we can't write 22 minutes that's funny to us? And it says every look at she's pitched the story. I mean, what, you know, and we really had fun writing that, you know, as it turned out. And uh, I don't know why John and I were actually chosen by either the studio or the network. Out of all those well, you had great been writers, there for a few years we had been there then. for four seasons. And that we was a revolving yeah. door, We had survived right? that, every... That um, series was a revolving door. Yeah, I guess that had something to do with it. I never even thought about that. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, that, you know, we were we were this... Uh, need, I, I don't know if I should say this, but anyway, we were a hetero couple. We weren't uh-huh. together, but we were both... We were, Neither of us was gay, and there were a number of gay people on the staff. And... My feeling at the time was it made sense because we here we were uh, after four seasons writing about, you know, Ellen who was having trouble in, in every episode keeping a relationship going with men. And now she was going to be with women and I guess it shouldn't be any different. It's another person. That's all. It's just right. the right sex. Right. Uh, it should make a difference in a lot of ways, but not necessarily in terms of being able to be intimate. And so... Uh, we, you know, the next season I felt was going to be a big problem. So we left. Now, mm. You know, she cleaned house, but we didn't fight that. <laughs> now, yeah. all of the writers that I know who have worked on that show at one time or another, let's just say they <laughs> they don't recall the experience in glowing terms. Uh, I had an easier time than John did. John really had trouble on that show with her. Um, I I ended up sometimes being the person that, you know, soothes, you know, like the go-between. Right. I mean, we weren't in charge of anything, you know. Other people ran the show, so we didn't really have to meet with her, but occasionally we ended up in the meeting with her about a script. And uh, he he and she were like, you know, at each other sometimes. And that, that was hard for me. And, um, you know, I can give you an example of the way Ellen is. Okay. Okay. You know, those, uh, things where you do a panel at the, is it the TV Academy? Sure. Sometimes. Mm -hmm. So we were in maybe the, might've been the last season that we were there. Might've been the coming out year. We did a panel and all the writers were there and, you know, when you leave work, you've left a script. It's it's like done, right? The next day was Thursday, which was blocking day. The next day after that was shooting day. We were done. Great. We felt like we were done. Yeah. And so it was a, a week where Chloe, the character Chloe, gets pregnant. And we deal with that. Okay. Okay, out of wedlock. <clears throat> so we're drinking at this thing before we do the panel. Everybody's having a wine or something. And so is Ellen, I I think. I'm not sure. But anyway, so we're just about to go on stage, and she turns around, and I was behind Dava, who was the executive producer, turns around to Dava, and I hear her say, by the way, I don't want Chloe to get pregnant this week. 
<laughs> now that, by the way, is somebody who doesn't understand how the process works, really. Right. I mean, why shouldn't she be able to say that? But she doesn't know when to say it. She right. doesn't know when to say it. So anyway, so Dava then turns around and tells everybody we're going back to work after this thing. And everybody had been drinking. Okay. So we go out on stage and then somebody says, you know, what's it like to work with Ellen? And we're all like, you know, in glowing terms, you know, talking about how great she is. And then we go back to the office and we're grumbling and everybody's really, really angry and a little drunk. Right. I think she felt bad. So she sent us a case of wine to the room. Okay. So Which you broke into. I well I I don't drink so I, oh. I didn't have any of it but but I mean I felt for you know people who had just had one or two glasses and they weren't sharp you know right. and we knew we had to be there all night because we had to completely redo the story so the next day we found out that she was crying in her uh, trailer so the executive producer had to go there and talk to her and found out that she was hurt because we didn't thank her for the wine. <laughs> so, you you know what I mean? It's like a, um, it's a pattern of abuse in a way, except it's, it's, it's like, um, I don't think, you know, obviously it's not intentional. She didn't mean to be, she wasn't trying to be mean. She was insensitive to what our, the the way the job works right and we had to pay the price for that so that's a that's a pretty typical thing now i don't know what the situation is on the ellen show now on the talk show i don't i know that there are people i don't know who people complain. who are on it so yeah i actually I do and i i know that they complain and i i would assume that it's that it's those kinds of things i don't think i don't think ellen's a mean person <laughs> you know uh-huh. i just think she she is she can be insensitive so Okay, you went on to create a By the way, I just to say one other thing about her. She's like Bob Newhart. She's one of those people that you may be pitching on the floor, but if a joke doesn't work, she remembers all the jokes okay. from, from every script okay. that you did with that spot, in that spot. So she can... She'll just immediately come up with a try another one from the script. And so she has a, an amazing memory. And, of course, the audience thinks, my God, she can come up with these jokes yeah. right off the top of her head when actually they were jokes that writers wrote. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you went on and created, uh, according to Jim, and, um, and mm-hmm. had a, a nice writing career. I want to also talk a little bit about your relationship with Ricky Jay. Ricky Jay passed away recently, and you wrote a truly wonderful piece for my blog about your (laughs) recollection of of Ricky Jay. You have no idea how happy happy I was that you asked me to do that. I it was like, oh my god, this is the perfect thing because I just like randomly writing these things on Facebook, trying to deal with this shock right and you know it's funny because remember i said to you that the first uh, reaction to my article in your blog was this guy writing uh a nice tribute to yourself a nice of you to mention ricky (laughs) jay well when you know i i have to address that i just want to say because i felt that when i was writing i thought this is all about me but what it really was was his effect on me Right. And I don't know how to write that. I didn't want to write about his accolades. You know, you can get everybody, that anywhere. Yeah, you know. exactly. This I knew Ricky in a story. specific way, in a specific time, and he had this really 
huge effect on me at the time. And he was my boyfriend, and we did live together. But the most important thing was I got an inside look into who I thought was an absolute genius. And, um, I mean, when I say most importantly, you know, after all, I'd say, you know, at the time the relationship was the most important thing. But in retrospect, I learned uh, the workings of a genius, you know, and the the day-to-day dedication that he had toward magic and to cards in particular, to watch him with a deck of cards, to be living with somebody who's doing that with cards all the time. Is he throwing cards at watermelons all day long? He's no, huh? he's throwing, he's aiming though and throwing it at things in your house. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, there really were cards literally every space on the floor. You were slipping all the time on cards. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, he would go outside and throw a card over the house. You know, uh-huh. that kind of thing, and or just go to the beach. We lived at the beach and throw them at the water. Uh-huh. You know, he he was um, a child with a deck of cards with a lot of skill, but a child up here, you know, in, kind of in his brain in terms of the fun that he had with cards. Was, was there just a always joy. a deck of cards in his hand when yeah. he's watching TV, when he's doing anything? All the time. Uh-huh. He didn't like to drive because he always was, you know, I was driving and he was, I was also cutting cards while I was driving. But he was. <laughs> now he, he taught seeing, you all that stuff, right? Well, that's not really how it worked. It's interesting because somebody wrote uh, on Facebook that they were friends with him. And um, it's a woman and she said, I asked Ricky why he let you in and and let you see how the tricks were done. And he said because she earned it. Well, that's a glorified version of, of kind of the way it really was. The only reason I saw how certain tricks were done was because I went to every show for a year right that means parties and that means if the party is crowded somebody's going to end up standing behind him which you're not allowed to do right so if there's going to be anybody doing that he's going to put me there or or his friend spencer who sometimes went with us uh somebody who cared about him and knew you know and so yes i saw things and i do know things but that doesn't mean i can do them or by the way i can't remember them but you can do all those the card manipulation yeah so i was gonna say how that happened was one time he went away and i don't get stoned much by the way but this particular Uh day I don't remember how I got stoned because, I I mean, I know it was pot, but I don't know whose it was because he didn't smoke it and I didn't smoke it. But I must have had some in the house and smoked it and was sitting and I was actually in the car. I was sitting and I was doing a two-handed shuffle that's like one the deck, half the deck on top of the other. I don't know how to explain that. Like Uh your hands are vertical. And the the way that you do this shuffle is you catch it at a certain corner and it's every single card, one right after the other. And I picked up the deck and I just did it. And I saw, I thought, oh my God, I I did this every other card like perfect. And I, and I don't know how I did it. Uh-huh. And so for the next two weeks, I tried to do that again. And I did it finally after it took me about two weeks and I was hooked. I thought, you know, this is perfect. I'm doing this little thing and it's perfect. And it was this way I learned from Ricky because, you know, if you saw him manipulate cards, doing fans and shuffles, how beautiful it was and how perfect that I could probably do that. And uh, there was no stopping me. And he was a little bit upset when he saw that I was doing it. 
when he came back. Um, but he knew, you know, that I wasn't going to be stopped. Right. And so he put me together with a magic teacher, Michael Skinner. I, I think uh, he's passed away since then. And to try to learn magic. But I didn't learn magic. I just learned, you know, the. I learned a lot of slights. I can do, I can do a lot of those slights, you know, different deals and stuff like right. that. Not some of the ones we were talking about, but some of them. You wound up uh, <laughs> displaying this prowess. On the Tonight Show. I know. <laughs> now, what did Ed McMahon think when when he saw you? That was did the Ed most, McMahon I mean, go, "Hey, wait a minute!" Right? You know, <laughs> I, it, what, I mean, you. off stage, yeah. I, I said, "Hey, Ed, how you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Tracy." <laughs> and you know, he says, "This is unusual. You've ended up doing this." And he said, "Are you still singing?" And I said, "Yeah." And you know, it was very cordial. You didn't get me on the Tonight Show when you were managing <laughs> me, but uh, he did. Oh, he did. I did. Oh, okay. I sang on the Tonight Show, oh. but it was on the first fifteen. Oh, you know what okay. That is? Yes, the first fifteen was pretty much New York. Yeah, and then because the, the Tonight Show originally was eleven fifteen at night to one in the morning, and at eleven thirty, a lot of stations would join, and then at twelve thirty, a lot of stations would drop out. Yeah, it was it was it was very a strange weird schedule, but it, but the first fifteen at that that particular night, Joey Bishop was the host. Okay, so I sang two songs. Now this is where I really learned show business again. Okay, before I went on, the knowledge that Ed McMahon was my manager and that I was this cute young girl with a guitar who was just you know for the first time singing on the Tonight Show. Right, every friggin' agent in town was there. Uh huh. Okay. They made me wear a dress. I was my costume, if you want to call it that, was pants and boots and a hat and right. you know, a little gamine sort of thing. Right. Um, and like a paper boy. Uh-huh. And they made me wear heels and a dress and they put me on a stool and didn't tell me where to look. I mean, I literally had never Oh wow. Been. I sat on that stool wishing this was over. Uh-huh. And what and what it caused was I started singing little boxes, you know, sure. little boxes mm-hmm. made of ticky tacky. Right, became uh, the uh, the theme song for, for weeds. weeds. Right, mm-hmm. uh, Malvina Reynolds wrote that song. Okay. Anyway, I started singing that, and I got higher and higher and higher. And the band was playing with me too. Right. And so they had to stop. They had to drop out because I was starting to sing it sharper and sharper. Uh-huh. I destroyed my career <laughs> and with one stroke. I got off the stage and no agents were there. And even Ed McMahon was a little bit, now what? Because uh-huh. he was my manager. He actually did get me work after that. But it was just, I remember, you know what? I was devastated and at the same time I was relieved because I was, I thought, I can't do this. I really can't do this. Uh-huh. I was... So scared on television, knowing that there were a million people watching, you know, or not even that really during the first 15. But it was, oh, my God. But so then you went on The Tonight Show again in the the 70s doing doing these these cards. And if you go to that that blog post, uh, you have the links. Yeah. People and you know the the, the the part of that 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 we're not mentioning is that Johnny Carson's interest in cards was so great because he himself was an amateur magician. He, he right? was a magician, and when he heard that there was, I did the Bob Hope special. This was a couple of weeks before Bob I Bob Hope hit on you. 
No, I. You know what? I don't remember even meeting him. Oh, okay. That was terrible. Well, that's why. But I had to. I had to do Diane Cannon's hands. You know, uh-huh. dealing cards in a sketch, and that was a live, a live show, not live. Um, it was shot in front of a live audience. Is what I mean. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't put. It wasn't uh, broadcast live. Right. And uh, so they stopped the scene. I actually had. I entered with her blouse on. Uh-huh. I did the thing, which took a minute. Right. I took a bow and I left. <laughs> and then they speeded up what I did, so it looked like she could really handle cards. Uh-huh. Well, during the rehearsals for that. I guess Johnny had heard that I was that there was a woman who handled cards on the Bob Hope set with his makeup bib on and everything. He came over there and met me. So I knew Johnny from that before I presented the sketch that uh, I eventually did with Johnny, which oh. I which I really wrote for me and Ricky Jay. Uh-huh. But, you know, he replaced Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, it's an amazing career. You now have gone back to singing and we're going to end by playing one of your songs. By the way, did has anyone ever told you that you sound like Betty White? No, that no. Okay. You mean when I'm talking? When you're talking, no, yes. That when is, when you're a... talking, when you listen back to this podcast, I'll think about you'll her. Think about that, and you go, yeah, you because you do. You you sound like Betty White. And that's by the amazing. way, that's a compliment. No, I that love Betty White. That is a huge White. compliment. I lo- yeah. She went to my vocal coach too. I met her back then too. Okay. Yeah, but but wait a minute. So you know, I'm doing children's records now. Okay. It's a it, the the uh, website is. Well, besides my website. Yeah, plug your website. Go ahead. Absolutely. uh, Well, first of all, there's TracyNewman.com. But it's called Run Along Home. And if you want to remember it this way, runalonghome.com, runalonghome.com. It's a lot better than Cars for Kids. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, go to runalonghome.com, and, and I have two records. It's, it's the begin or two CDs. It's the beginning of a series of age-appropriate songs for little toddlers. Okay, and it's my uh, granddaughter. I'm so proud I of it. Yeah. Play one for my you, granddaughter. Yeah, yes, CDs. yeah, yeah. What are you playing, by the way? What song are you playing? Like Lorraine or something? No, or? I am playing the uh, Light Up the Weed. Oh, fire! <laughs> yeah, fire up the weed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because there's no children listening no, to this. No, 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 no. Yeah. It's a, what a yeah. fun song. It, it, it is a fun song. Tracy, thanks so much. We'll do this again. Yes, I hope so. Thanks, Ken. Hollywood and the Fine. I'm embarrassed to say this relationship works because we never talk except for make me some eggs bacon and toast and aren't you gonna wear socks to be honest and true what I like about you is that you're always high you don't Get out of the house And neither do I This must be the way we want it This must be what we need I'll make the martinis And you fire up the 
And that's what silences me You were with someone else I snatched you up for myself Like the last piece of meat Not that you didn't Jump at the chance Old dog that you are that was Tracy Newman. She says that that song, by the way, is semi-autobiographical, to which I say, yikes. That will do it for this week. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, and to John Wolfert. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, you can just email me at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. My Instagram account if you want to follow me there is hollywood and levine again i would love a five-star review uh darn we're running late so i don't have a chance to do my commercial plug for my website selling and licensing my plays so you're just going to have to go to kenlevineplays.com and see for yourself why it's such a wonderful deal again thanks to tracy newman we will talk to you again next week Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.